that Hebrews chapter 12 verses 28 and 29 this is the message translation come on let's read it together as a family it says do you see what we've got an unshakable kingdom and do you see how thankful we must be not only thankful but brimming with worship deeply reverent before God for God is not an indifferent bystander he's actively cleaning house torching all that needs to burn and he won't quit until it's all cleansed God himself is fire give yourself a hand you did that good God himself is fire and now our scripture from where we'll take our thought today the gospel according to Matthew Matthew chapter number 22 I want to look at verses 34 through 40. Matthew 22, start at verse number 34, and we'll land at verse 40. When you're ready to read it, say, yeah. yeah. Listen to the word of the Lord. It says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? What a great question. In essence, he's saying, yo, it's a whole lot of stuff I'm supposed to be doing. Tell me what's the one thing I need to do. What is the greatest commandment? I know it's a lot of them, but what is the greatest one? And listen to the reply from the greatest human who has ever walked the face of this earth. He gives the answer to what the greatest commandment is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. In essence, he's saying the core of Christianity, the core of your faith is right there in that verse. If you would just do that, everything else would take care of itself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And then he throws in an extra bonus and says the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All you gotta do, this, that's red letter talk right there, by the way. Jesus says, all I need you to do is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Plus, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, the way you treat your neighbor tells me how you treat you. The way you love your neighbor is the way you're going to love you. Don't try this at home, but maybe the next time somebody says, I love you, a follow-up question should be, do you love you? Because if you don't love you, it's going to be impossible for you to love because you will love your neighbor as you love yourself. If, if you don't like you, how are you going to like me? If, if you are critical and judgmental of you, Maybe that's why you were on my page talking sideways. You're critical and judgmental of me. If you can't forgive you, maybe that's why you're so bitter and can't forgive anybody else. Because you will love your neighbor as you love yourself. I want to tag this text with the title for the first sermon in the How to Love series with this question. Do you love you? Do you love you? Before you ask your neighbor, just let that sit in your cranium for half a second. Do you love you? Now look at the person next to you, whichever one you like the best, and just say neighbor. <laughs> I'm asking, because I'm your neighbor. <laughs> Do you love you? <laughs> look at your other person, say other person. <laughs> Matter of fact, other neighbor. I really want to know. <laughs> Do you love you? Oh, come on. If you believe God's going to speak, would you give him some praise? <laughs> oh, Lord. 
speak to our hearts today. Help me preach your word with power and with clarity. In Jesus' name, everybody say it. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Do you love you? Lawrence, I was yesterday years old when I realized that all of our relationship series titles have been titles of songs. Have you noticed this? This was not planned, but this just hit me literally yesterday. Um, all of our relationship series titles have been the titles of songs. Our first relationship series was Can We Talk? Can We Talk? I love that series because it immediately let me know the age difference in our church, okay? Because when we said it was Can We Talk, all the old grown folks went straight to Tevin Campbell and went, Can We Talk for a minute? And all the younger folks was like, I don't know nothing about Tevin Campbell, but I know Khalid. Can we just talk? It was amazing to see the difference in ages. Our second series, well, no, let's back it up. That, that first series was great because the highlight in that series was really just talking about communication in relationships. And we said that you cannot have a good relationship and not have good words. Every good relationship has this in common, good words. Every bad relationship has this in common bad words. Nobody has ever been talked down to and then motivated to live better. Like nobody's ever said, you know what? I am a dog. I am nothing. I need to do better. <laughs> so, so, so if you want to get your relationship right, work on your words because your words are powerful. Second series we did on relationships was Love is Blind. Love is Blind. How many saw that? How many saw Love is Blind? It's amazing. It's still on YouTube. You can like, share, and subscribe. But that, there's a song, Love is Blind, and that came from Eve. Not Eve in the Bible, but Eve, the first lady of the Rough Riders. She had this song called Love is Blind, and it'll take over your mind. What you think is love is really not. You need to elevate and find. And we talked about how culture has tried to shape what love is, and love really does have the power to intoxicate your senses. And how many of us have made some dumb, stupid decisions in the name of love. We talked about in that series how you have to be careful that just because you have a thirst for something doesn't mean you can satisfy that thirst any way you want. Y'all, I brought a whole toilet on stage and I told you about my dog Theo who has beautiful, fresh water prepared for him. But when he comes in from outside, all he knows is I'm thirsty. And instead of going to the water that's prepared for him, he goes straight to the toilet and I have to tell him, get out that toilet, get out that toilet. Because all he knows is I'm thirsty and I got to fulfill my thirst. And how many of us who have tried to fulfill our thirst for things with toilet water instead of the fresh water that God has already prepared for us? And that was love is blind. Well, we're titling this series, How to Love. How to Love. And believe it or not, I didn't plan this, but that's the title of a song. I have the lyrics here because I don't listen to secular music. I just listen to wonderful worship music all day long. So have you heard this song, How to Love? It's by a poet from New Orleans, Louisiana by the name of Dwayne Michael Carter. And these are the lyrics. Um, first line is, I got the music out. <laughs> a little louder, yeah. Says you had a lot of cricks, try and steal your. Like, this is my song. Let me let me let me just read the lyrics. <laughs> had a lot of cricks, try and steal your heart. Never really had luck, could never figure out how to love, how to love. Next line. Had a lot of moments, didn't last forever. Now you're in the corner, trying to put it together. How to love. Quite interesting, this, this poet, Dwayne Michael Carter, has released approximately 245 different songs. And this might be the only one that I can actually read the lyrics <laughs> in a church service, which is quite interesting and quite contradictory and, and duplicitous. And we'll talk about that within this series, our, our contradictions within ourselves. Because I find it strange that he's got 244 songs that have colorful language and misogynistic terms. But all of a sudden, we got one song that says, I just want you to know that you deserve the best, you're beautiful. That's not what you said in the other songs. I'm just trying to figure out 
Which one is it? It's interesting. I think he poses a question in this song that all of us are really wrestling with. And that is, how do you love? How do you receive love? How do you give love? Of all the classes that we take in school, nobody teaches us how to love. I took classes on trigonometry. I took classes on calculus. Don't remember any of it. I took English classes. I took all kinds of classes on history, but I never took a class on love. I never took a class on relationships. I think the cry of this song is really the cry of our culture. We are trying to figure out how to love. I think there's some people who said, no, I don't need to figure it out, PR. I got it. I know how to love. I know what love I need, and I know when I need it. And if that's you, well, come grab the mic and you preach this series. Because I know what it's like to grapple with the complexities of how to love. How in the world do you give love? How do you receive love? And maybe the question is not even just how to love. I think the question is really, how do you love after? How do you love after? How do you love after the heartbreak? How do you love after the hurt? How do you love after the abuse? How do you love after the molestation? How do you love after the affair? How do you love after the second divorce? How do you love after being ghosted? How do you love after you have been disappointed over and over and over again? Often the challenge of love is not how do I love, it's how do I love after I've been through some stuff because now my perspective has been jaded on what love really is. How do I love when my father was never there? How do I love when my mother never cared? How do I love when I was born day one in an environment where nobody ever showed me what love really looked like? This is why you got to be careful who you judge. This is about why you got to be careful who you turn up your nose and go, I can't believe they behaved in that matter. Be careful when you rush to quick judgments about the behavior of certain people because how many of you know people were broken before you met them? And sometimes the best question you can ask, I found, is not why did you do that, but I've learned to ask the question, what is your story? I need to know your story because often there is a brokenness behind that behavior. You've been through some stuff, and although trauma does not excuse behavior, how many of you know it does explain behavior? I'm going to say that again because that was a bar that you can tweet later. Trauma does not excuse behavior, but it does explain behavior. I love this culture in which we live in because everybody's getting serious about mental health. And I love that we're using a lot of clinical terms, but there is a casualty to that because some of us are using words like trauma and you ain't really been through trauma. Like some of y'all are like, oh my God, it was raining today. Trauma. Boo-boo, that's not trauma. <laughs> That, that's not trauma, but, but some of us have been through some real issues. We've been through real trauma, and I need to let you know, because I've sat on the seat of pastoral ministry and counseling, I'm amazed at how many people want to tell you their trauma, and it is painful to hear, but they think that the trauma excuses their behavior. No, 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 trauma does not excuse your behavior. It might explain it. You can't just say, well, I had trauma, and nobody loved me. That's why I murdered everybody. Okay, well, you still got to go to jail, because there are still consequences for your actions it does not excuse it but it does explain why you did what you did in fact it reminds me of a story that I recently heard about a young boy who grew up in a household where his parents believed in God but they didn't know how to love they didn't know how to love this young boy never heard his mother or his father say I love you never told him or his brother how much they cared about them. As a matter of fact, his mother was a germaphobe, so she would never show any type of physical affection, would never kiss him, would never hug him. As a matter of fact, the only thing he remembers his mom doing as a sign of her love was buying him a blanket that had all these little bunnies on it. He called it his bunny blanket. He loved this blanket. He went to school with the blanket. He slept with that blanket. It was the only thing he ever got as a sign of love. When he was about nine years old, he begged his mom to give him a dog. She said, absolutely not. I don't want germs in this house. All of a sudden, this nine-year-old boy developed a tumor in his ear. 
And the doctor said, we can do surgery, but it is possible that he will lose his hearing. And this boy remembers standing in the hallway of his house, listening to his mom on the phone, talking to a friend. And he could hear the friend on the other line saying, just buy him a dog. He could lose his hearing. So the mama goes to the pound, buys this little boy a dog. He was so excited. He loved the dog, but he didn't know. And the mom didn't know that they brought home a sick dog. And five days later, that dog died. The mom had somebody come get the dog. He loved that dog so much, he gave that dog the blanket, but because the dog was sick and would lay on the blanket, the mom burned the bunny blanket in front of the boy. He said that was one of the most traumatic moments of his life. Until he was in college, 20 years old, a virgin in college meets a beautiful young girl, says, I'm going to marry this girl. They fall in love. He actually wanted to save himself from marriage. But they ended up sleeping together, and he said, it's okay. We're going to live together forever. The summer of that college year, he found out that his love cheated on him, and it broke his heart. That young boy became the man, Hugh Hefner, who started Playboy magazine. He started a magazine and an empire that objectified women, and the emblem was connected to a blanket from his childhood when he grew up in a house trying to figure out how to love, how to love. It's funny, when Lil Wayne tells the song, he talks about a woman, but I wonder if he's talking about himself, because I've heard his story. I've heard how he was abused and lost his virginity at 11 and tried to commit suicide at age 12 and ended up being a father at age 16, trying to figure out how to love. And I could pass this mic around today and all of us would have stories of crooks that tried to steal or stole our hearts, never really had luck, trying to figure out how to love. And maybe the problem is we're trying to figure out how to love instead of running to the one who is the author of love and saying, God, would you heal the broken parts in me so I can love the way that you designed it? tell you this is going to be a great series there's so much to talk about in this series and please don't stop coming back today is just the entree because we're going to talk about everything we, we we're going to talk about you know how some of y'all are single and searching we're going to talk to those y'all who are single and desperate <laughs> don't point at nobody we're going to talk <laughs> going to talk to y'all who are single and satisfied Gonna talk to y'all who are dating, y'all who are hooking up, y'all who've been heartbroken, y'all who are engaged, those who are happily married, those who are miserably married, those who are married again. We're gonna talk about friendship, we're gonna talk about sex, we're gonna talk about what men need to do. Y'all walked right into that. We're gonna talk about what women need to do. No. <laughs> you notice the difference? We're gonna talk about what men need to do. That's right, that's right. Fellas, we're going to talk about what women need to do? Mm, I, ain't, I ain't about to say nothing now, bro. She here. <laughs> oh, that made me laugh. The list, the list could go on and on, but hear me. Here's what I'm finding out before we get to any of all that. We got to talk about you. Because I am finding out that the most important relationships, hear me, are not interpersonal relationships. The most important relationship is the intrapersonal relationship. It is the relationship that you have with you. That is the most important relationship. Because if you don't want to be with you, how can you expect somebody else to want to be with you? If you don't think you're beautiful, there is nothing somebody else can say that'll make you feel beautiful. If you don't have grace for you, you're never going to have grace for somebody somebody else. If you don't love you, it is impossible for you to love somebody else. Ladies and gentlemen, when are we going to understand that healthy relationships are built with two healthy individuals? Many relationship problems are actually just individual issues that we never worked on in the first place. And I got a newsflash, nobody is coming to save you. Nobody can complete you. You got to get whole by yourself and say, God, Help me love me so I can actually be a blessing and not a burden to somebody else. There is no human that can shoulder the 
responsibility of trying to fulfill everything that you need. You got to find that in you. Ooh, maybe we should stop telling single people, get married, get married. Maybe we should switch it up. Be like, get therapy, get therapy, get therapy. Get whole, get whole, get whole. <laughs> and that's the question I want to pose today. Is do you love you? Truly, do you love you? How do you talk to you? Do you love you? Better question, do you know how to love you? If you want to know how to love you, Come with me to Matthew chapter number 22. I, I love this. I love this text. If I had time, I would preach this text for the next two hours because it is a powerful passage of scripture. Let me give you the context of the text. All of a sudden, Jesus finds himself in a place of controversy. He's in a place of controversy because he has basically made everybody mad. I, I've noticed this. Have you ever read your Bible and noticed everybody loved little baby Jesus? But everybody had issues with full-grown Jesus. Full-grown Jesus annoyed every single political party, every power that was alive during that age. And when you see this text, it's an interesting passage because group by group, all these different facets, all these different organizations are coming to Jesus with their issues and they're trying to trap him because none of them like him. It's funny, these groups don't even like each other, but they're in agreement that they don't like him. Ooh, you know people will do that. There are people who will hate each other. It's like, I don't like you. I don't like you, but we both hate them. <laughs> Let's go after them. And that's what they're doing with Jesus. It is the Pharisees, it is the Herodians, and it is the Sadducees. These are three political, if you will, groups who don't even like each other, but they all don't like Jesus. And here's why. Because Jesus does not fit into the little box that they want to put him in. Can I just say this before everybody loses their mind during this election season? Jesus still today does not fit in any political box that you want to put him in. He is not right wing or left wing. He is the whole bird. Matter of fact, he ain't even the whole bird. He came to bring a kingdom that is unshakable. It is transcendent. His kingdom is not of this earth. So stop trying to put him in your own little political party because he is bigger than that. And so each one of these parties realize he doesn't fit in our box. So let's try to trap him. I love it. The first ones up are the Pharisees. They've coupled with the Herodians and they try to get him on a tax question. They're like, uh, Jesus, excuse me, uh, what, what should we do about taxes? Should we continue to pay tax to Caesar? And I love Jesus because he hits him right in the face. He says, you hypocrites. That's the first words out of his mouth. I love how Jesus rolls because the people that were sinners, the people that were broken, he was so gentle with them. Have you noticed he was just loving it? But the people who were arrogant and self-righteous and didn't think they needed him, he came for their throat. He would just hit them with, you look like an open grave, whitewashed grave. Yeah, clean on the outside, dead on the inside. That's you. I mean, he would just be so gangster with people who did not think that they needed a savior. So he hits them in the face and said, you hypocrites. It's like, you're trying to trap me? He says, okay, you want to know about taxes? Give me a coin. Give me a coin. Give me a coin. Takes the coin. He says, whose image is on that coin? They're like, ah, Caesar. Great. Give to Caesar what Caesar's. Flipped it and had all of them quiet. Like, okay, we lost. <laughs> they were amazed at how he answered questions. The next group up was the Sadducees. The Sadducees, they did not like or believe, rather, in the resurrection. And they come to Jesus with questions about resurrection and gave this lavish story about a husband who died and he had brothers and each one of the brothers died and they were wanting to know in the resurrection is the wife going to be with the first brother the second brother or the third or the fourth or the sixth or the seventh and he hits him in the face again he says you don't know the scriptures or the power of God he said, that's your problem. You don't know the scriptures or the power of God. He said, there's not going to be any marriage in resurrection. Marriage is an earthly institution and it's only for our time here on earth. That's what marriage is for. It won't be any marriage in heaven. In heaven, you will stand by yourself single. You will be held accountable single to a holy and righteous God. It's only for earth that you have marriage. Now, depending on your marriage, are you excited about that or are you sad? <laughs> about that some people are like what I'm free in heaven <laughs> no, I'm sorry I should have said that that was too honest it's interesting Jesus shuts both of them down and the third person to come question Jesus is an expert in the law he's an expert in the law and he comes with a question to Jesus this expert in the law 
Don't think like a lawyer in the courtroom. Think like the Old Testament law. He was an expert in the law and all of the Old Testament and not just knowing the law, but he was an expert in how that law was to be applied in day-to-day life. And he comes to Jesus and the text says he's coming to trap Jesus just like the two parties before, but this dude is different. I think he's coming to trap Jesus on the surface, but if you go a little deeper, I think he feels trapped. I think this expert in the law feels trapped by the law because he's been trying to execute the law without love. He's been trying to follow all of the rules without relationship. And how many of you know it is exhausting when you are trying to follow rules without relationship? It is exhausting to be on the treadmill of performance when you don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. This is why some people don't want anything to do with church. is because you think church is a bunch of rules or you think following Jesus is a bunch of rules. And if you think it's just rules and I got to come to church and I got to lift up my hands and I got to read my Bible and I can't go here and if you think it's a bunch of I cannots and you don't understand that all the I cannots ought to be fueled by this love for God it is frustrating and exhausting because you will always feel like you are on the hamster wheel of trying to perform to get God's love I think he was asking the question because he wanted to know the answer because he was tired of being on the treadmill of trying it's like I'm trying to fulfill all these commandments but hey Tell me, what's the greatest one? Now, immediately when he said he wanted to know the greatest one, I'm thinking, okay, he wants to know what is the greatest one out of the 10. But that's not what homeboy is talking about. He is an expert in the law. The law there is the entire Old Testament law. And how many know, they said the 10, those were the ones that were given to Moses. Those were special. But the Jews had added 613 laws. That's a whole lot of laws. 613 laws that had to be kept and they broke up these laws between 365 negative laws, things you ain't supposed to do, and 248 positive laws, things you are supposed to do. Fam, can you imagine waking up every day going, it's 365 things that I can't do, 248 things that I can do. Can you, you think you got anxiety now. Imagine waking up every day trying to fulfill 613 laws and finally he asked the question, Teacher, what's the greatest one out of the 613? And look at the answer of Jesus. Jesus says, you want me to give you the greatest of the 613? You want me to reduce it? Okay, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. If you really want to know what you're supposed to do, do that one right there. And if you can do that one, it will take care of everything else. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Oh, I add another one, but the other one is just like the first one. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is the totality of what I've called you to do. Can I just pause and thank God for Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the law, who is truth and grace that when the law wants to keep me burdened and 613 things that I'm trying to keep up with thank God for Jesus that takes 613 to 2 and says all you got to do is love me with all of your heart with all of your soul with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself I want to thank God that his burden is light and his yoke is easy and if you're in here today and the enemy keeps stressing you out about all the things that you have done I haven't done. I dare you to just fix your attention on loving God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your mind, and watch everything else take care of itself. See, people actually don't like that gospel at all because we want to be able to do stuff. This is what this is at the heart of religion because when you do stuff, you can feel like God owes you. You're like, yo, God, I did it. Hey, I ain't missed a Sunday yet this year. Unshakable. God, I've been reading the scripture and I posted a picture on the gram with my coffee cup and I highlighted scriptures too. I did my part. Now guess what? This raise is coming up. (laughs) I better get this raise. God, you saw me. I'm worshiping. You saw me. I had my hands lifted. It was high. I used to be right here. I took it up this year. I'm up here with it now. (laughs) I'm doing my part. How come you do your part? 
And that is the essence of religion, is performance for acceptance. It's doing the rules, it's doing the law without the love. And this expert in the law, who is exhausted from the law, gets hit in the face with the single greatest commandment, which is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What is the essence of our faith? What is the art of living well? Ladies and gentlemen, it is loving well. If you are not growing in your love, you are not living life at all. The life here on earth is all about loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. This is our primary objective. This should be our chief focus, is simply loving God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And watch this, from that I will begin to love myself. And as I love myself, then I can love my neighbor. But there is a reason he gave the lawyer this answer in this order. The order matters. See, the reason why we have trouble in relationships trying to love other people because we don't love ourselves is because we don't do the first thing, which is to love God. See, you can't skip this step. You can't go straight into, I'm going to love my neighbor. Okay, good luck. Try that out. You, you can't jump to loving your neighbor. You can't even jump to loving me. You know, the old song, I believe the children on the future. Teach them well. And how many songs do I sing in every sermon? Somebody should take a note of this. This is my gift. They won't put me on worship team, so I just got to do it. Teach them well and let them lead the way. What, what I found the greatest Love of all inside. Um, good luck trying to do that without loving God first. This is an order. It starts with him. So he says, you want to know what you're supposed to do? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. It's interesting. St. Augustine says something I love. He says, love God and do whatever you want. It almost seems like you're getting a license to go, hey, I can live however I want to live. No, 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 no. He's saying that if you love God with all of you, in essence, loving him will transform you to the point that you can do whatever you want. But it starts with this love. Can we break this down? Are you bored yet? Look at what he says. Love the Lord. Love the Lord. Not love the Savior, although he is Savior. Love the Lord. So if I'm going to love him, I must establish that he is Lord. Love the Lord. Understand that Jesus is not quoting this randomly. This comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 in the Old Testament when he told the children of Israel, I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of Egypt. Worship and serve me and me alone. And that was their biggest struggle because they were always trying to worship another idol on top of worshiping God. So he said, let me just establish something right now. I am the Lord your God. I refuse to share the throne of your heart with anybody else. You've heard me say it before, if he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all, he is Lord. So the first step in loving him is acknowledging his sovereignty, acknowledging his supremacy, acknowledging the fact that he is God and beside him and there is no other. Nobody voted him in, nobody can vote him out. He is God all by himself. It starts with knowing that he is the Lord of all, that he spoke the world into existence. And the reason some people don't worship him is because you don't know that he is Lord, that he rules, that he reigns, that he is supreme. It starts with his sovereignty. You are God, I am not. Love the Lord. And then here it is, your God. Your God. Not your grandmama's God. <laughs> not your mama's God. Your God. Do you see the beauty of his sovereignty and then how personal he is? He says, love the Lord your God, that yes, I am sovereign, and yes, I rule, and yes, I reign, but I'm also personal. I love it. Did y'all hear the song that we sang earlier, written by our very own social worship with Pastor Keenan? Isn't that a beautiful song? The hands that hold creation are the hands that held the cross. Do you hear in that language the beauty of his sovereignty? The hands that hold creation 
are the same hands that held the cross. That's what makes it personal, that the God of creation still loved me enough to come from heaven to earth to pay the price for my sin. He is personal. Love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart. Your heart is the seed of all your emotions and all your thoughts and all your decisions. That's what the Bible says in Proverbs, guard your heart, for out of it flows the issues of life. With all your heart, what was the next one? With all your soul. Ooh, that is the immaterial you that I cannot see that's underneath your skin. Your soul, the essence of who you are. And then with all your mind, mind. Now that confused me when he said mind. Because Jesus, again, is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we get to the crib and you back that thing up biblically to the Old Testament. <laughs> and you read Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 5. It does not say love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. It says love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. So now Jesus is changing it in the New Testament from strength to mind. Jesus, I'm confused. Why are you changing it from the Old Testament to the New Testament? To which he'd probably say, because I'm the Lord, your God. I'm the sovereign. I could do what I want. <laughs> but I wonder if he's also teaching us a deeper principle. I wonder if the reason he changes it from mind, excuse me, from strength to mind is to let us know that the true strength of humanity is not necessarily in your body. It's in your mind. It's in your mind. And, and if God really wants to bring change in your life, it's not necessarily the change that needs to happen in your body or your behavior. There has to be a change in your mind, in your thinking. Oh, that's what we're going to attack over this series. Some of you are thinking about relationships wrong and it's producing behavior in your body and you're trying to fix the behavior in your body. You got to change it in your mind until you see your value in your mind. The behavior in your body that makes you give yourself to anybody and sleep with anybody won't change until you understand what happens in your mind. You won't stop looking at pornography and doing things with your body until there's a change in your mind to know that the people that you're watching on those screen, those are real humans that were made in the image of God and it is objectification to try to get pleasure watching people do things when they were made in the image of God there has to be a change in your mind and if we could change your thinking then we would see a change in your behavior in your body and God says I want you to love me with all of your heart with all of your soul and with all of your mind oh I didn't plan to do this but can I interrupt this regularly scheduled sermon so that you can engage in an exercise would you put your hands on your forehead and just say, Lord, I give you permission to change my mind. Help me see relationships the way you see them. Ooh, you just prayed a dangerous prayer. God says, your first priority is to love me. As the worship team joins me, I used to think, that the most important words in that greatest commandment were heart, soul, and mind. But those aren't the words that are repeated. The words that are repeated is with all. Don't just love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind. Notice what he keeps putting on loop. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul all why does he keep saying all because he knows the human tendency to only give pieces as ourselves we give pieces of ourselves to other people and we give pieces of ourselves to God God says I don't want pieces of you I want all of you love me with your complete being don't give me your heart and then let your mind wander into places that it shouldn't wander. Don't give me your soul, 
but then not give me your heart where you make decisions. It's amazing how so many people make big decisions and don't even consider, have I asked God, have I sought his will on this? Are you just doing it because you feel it? God says, I want all of you. And if you give me all of you, out of that you will love your neighbor. And that love for somebody else will come out of the overflow of the love that you have for you. There is a reason Jesus gives this order. Because you cannot love people without loving God. And you can't love God without loving people. They are connected. Now, I'm not saying you can't be connected to people, committed to people, have affection for people, be enamored by people, but this type of love, this is a different type of love. We just use love for everything. I love my wife. I love the Chiefs. I love Ursher. I love Taylor Swift. I love ice cream. I love my kids. It's a horrible way to use the word love. This word love is agape. It is the love that is so selfless that it is willing to sacrifice whatever needs to be sacrificed for the betterment of the other person. That is what this love is. And that love only comes from basking in and receiving that love that your father gave to you. This is why we must keep our eyes on the cross and the price that was paid for us. Because how many of you know when you keep your eyes on the cross, on that self-sacrificing love, it is what tempers you. It is what balances you. I want to ask you again, do you love you? Some of you can answer that question, but it's that 2 Timothy chapter 3 where the Bible says men will become lovers of themselves in the last days. So some of you, you love you so much that all you think about is you and nobody else and it is an ego type of love it is a self-engrandized type of love it is a love that is not selfless it is selfish and you think you are all that and that's why you have to fix your eyes on the cross because when I fix my eyes on the cross I can never say I'm all that because it was my sin that put him on that cross it was my righteousness that was as filthy rags that put him on that cross it was me that was supposed to be on there so I can't ever get in impressed with myself because I understand that it was my sin that put him there and then some of you are on the other opposite end where you hate yourself and you speak to yourself in a way that you wouldn't speak to anybody else and you're rehearsing negative things and saying how ugly you are and how messed up you are and you talk to yourself like you wouldn't talk to anybody else and can I remind you in those moments when you are speaking to yourself and devaluing yourself can you look at the cross and remind yourself that I must be worth something because Jesus left heaven and paid the price for my sin I have to be valuable he wouldn't have died for me if I wasn't valuable how many of you know you don't know the price of something by what it costs the price of something is by what somebody is willing to pay for it and Jesus was willing to pay for my life with his blood on the cross I am valuable I am redeemed I am I'm a child of God. Yes, I made some mistakes, but thank God for Jesus for wiping my sin away. Oh, somebody ought to thank him for who you are in him. Some of you, the greatest homework assignment you could do after this message is to track how you talk to yourself. Are you declaring what your heavenly father says over you? Or are you repeating things that the enemy wants you to say? Because as you continue to devalue you, that's when you get to the place where I am not worth it. My life is not worth it. And then you have no capacity to love anybody else. But some of you are going to have to get real practical if you got to get up every single morning and make a declaration over yourself and say, I am a child of God, chosen by him, loved by him. I am his beloved. I am fully accepted. He speaks over me. 
words of love. The cross is what keeps us in balance. And if you ever wanna know how much he loves you, look at that cross with his arms stretched out wide. He says, that's how much, that's how much. Do you love you? I do because I am receiving the love from God. And as I receive that love from him, then it can fill me up and go over to my neighbor. This is the first step in any relationship is to love God with all of you. How do you do it? By receiving the love that he gave for you. You don't have to perform. You don't have to be like this lawyer trying to keep up with 613 when he's reduced it down to two. It's not a love you have to perform for. It's a love that must be received. Would you stand to your feet today all over this place? We're going to ask every head be bowed and eyes be closed. Father, thank you for your love. Lord, I pray today that you would give us a revelation of how much we are loved by you. Lord, it's so easy to look in the mirror and see what we don't like. It's so easy to repeat negative words saying, I'm, I'm worthless, I'm this, I'm that, I can't because of who wasn't there. I, I'll never become this or that. Father, open up our eyes to see how much we are loved by you. And then out of that love, let it overflow to our neighbor. But Father, we take the first step, excuse me, not the first step, because this is love. Lord, that while we were sinners, you died for us. God, we just respond to your love. And as we respond, we receive within us the capacity to love our neighbor. God, I pray over this series, there would be healing and restoration and relationships. God, I pray that you would uproot trees of bitterness that have poisoned our hearts. Lord, I pray that hearts of stone that have become so jaded God would become soft again and we would open up our hearts to love again. Lord, I pray over this series that you would break generational curses that just because we did not receive the love of a father or a mother, we do not have to perpetuate it, God, to our children. God, we will be the difference maker. But Lord, we know the source. It is you. So no more pieces, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. Lord, we give it to you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed all over this place today. I, I wanna pray for some people who would be so honest to say, you know what, I've not surrendered my life to Jesus. What blows my mind about this love is that he did it giving you the option to respond. And if it was just you, he would have died on that cross. And maybe you have this mindset that it's laws and rules when it's really love. It's out of the love that I want to do the rules. It's out of the love. When I got married to my wife on August 24, 2012, I wasn't at the altar thinking, oh, what are the things that I have to do and I can't do? That wasn't flooding my mind. What was flooding my mind was how much I loved her. And that love produces a behavior. But it starts with love. 
and you have to receive it in spite of the enemy telling you how unworthy you are of it you were that valuable that he paid the price for you heads are bowed eyes are closed but if you be so honest to say pastor robert i've never responded to this love or given him my life if that's you, I'm just going to ask you to lift up your hand high enough and long enough to where I can see it. If that's you saying, I need to give Jesus my life today. Come on, you know when he's speaking to you. I see those hands. Anybody else? Come on, I'm looking at somebody that's watching this service online. Somebody that's watching on Pando right there as you're incarcerated. How many know God's love? It knows no limits. He'll meet you in that prison cell right now. That's why you're watching this moment and you can't cut off the screen because God is trying to let you know that his love has been pursuing you his love has been chasing you anybody else just lift it up and put it right back down thank you God I want to lead you in this prayer but I want you to say it from your heart would you say this say Jesus thank you for your love father thank you for loving me enough to pay the price for my sin. Lord, I know that you lived the life that I was supposed to live. You died the death that I was supposed to die. You took my place. So my response is to give you all, all of me. No more pieces all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul, it is yours. And Lord, today, as I receive your love, I thank you that I will show that love to my neighbor. I have been forgiven so I can forgive. I am loved so I can love. I've been given grace so I can show grace. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. Come on, if you meant what you prayed, would you give Jesus some praise today?